Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. Amen. You can be seated. I invite you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. This is our second in this series on Romans, the letter that changed the world. If you missed last week, you can go online and either listen to it uh, as a stream. You can subscribe to the podcast. You can download these sermons if you need to catch up as we introduce this book last week. As I was uh, studying this week, I thought about when I was a kid, we used to go to the different museums and stuff around the state. And one of my favorite places to go was Fort Davis. And I can remember standing there and as a kid, I was always just, uh, just enthralled, enamored by the cavalry and, and the cowboys and Indian stuff. And I can remember standing there on the, on the battleground there where the troops were and they had a deal where they would play a sound of troops and I just would relive it and think, what a neat thing for me as a kid to stand in this place where some incredible battles and stuff like that took place. As I was looking at Romans this week, I thought about the the list of quotes that I read last week of how this book, this one New Testament book, has so transformed lives. And I thought about Martin Luther as he read these statements, the just shall live by faith, and and then ultimately uh, John Wesley was influenced that. And and you have the the Reformation, you have Methodism, and, and really the evangelical movement started by men who were transformed by reading this letter. So we get to stand there today and say we're right where they were as we walk our way through this book. Remember we said that Paul wrote this to, we had several reasons to establish his credentials as an apostle. We're going to look at that in detail today to emphasize God's standard of holiness, to explain the message of the gospel clearly, and to encourage and strengthen believers. So that's his desire as he writes this book. So let's read these first few verses, and then we'll jump into this, all right? Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle and singled out for God's good news, which he promised long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was a descendant of David according to the flesh, and who has been declared to be the powerful son of God by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness. We have received grace and apostleship through him to bring about the obedience of faith among all the nations on behalf of his name, including yourselves who also belong to Jesus Christ by calling. To all who are in Rome, loved by God, called as saints, grace to you and peace from our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's just stop right there. We looked at those last week. We're going to look at those, these verses in detail today. Remember we said that Paul is writing to the, the church at Rome. He hadn't been there. Most likely that church was started by believers who, who came to Christ at Pentecost and went back and started that church, primarily a Jewish congregation initially. And then some of the Jews were expelled from Rome. Gentiles took leadership of the church. Then the Jews came back. So by the time Paul writes this letter, he has a congregation that is Jewish and Gentile, there's some conflict that was caused by that, and we'll look at that in later weeks. But he, he addresses that the Jesus is a descendant of David. Just let him know that, that the Lord Jesus came through this Jewish lineage. So let's, let's look at these, these statements, first of all. Number one, Paul presents his credentials 
to the church there. Number one, Paul is presenting his credentials. I did some research this week and found that when an ambassador from one nation goes to another nation, they have to present their credentials. It's called a letter of credence. I was looking specifically at the at, at the UK, and when, a, when an ambassador goes to present themselves to the queen, there's this letter of credence that says who this person is, what, how he is given the authority of that country. And that letter is presented to say, receive this person, listen to him, he has some authority. That's exactly what Paul is doing in this initial part of the letter. He's writing his own letter of recommendation, as we said last week. So let's walk through these credentials. They aren't your typical credentials. Number one, he is a slave of Christ Jesus. He is a slave of Christ Jesus. Verse 1, Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. Some translations translate that word servant. Literally, it's the word that means bond slave, a, a bond servant. Paul is saying, I am a slave of Jesus Christ. Now, that would be a common uh, phrase to be a slave because in the Roman Empire, like 6 million uh, Jews at the time, or 6 million slaves at the time. So when, they, when Paul said he was a slave, most of the, the Roman Empire could relate to that, what, what a slave was, a, a piece of merchandise, a piece of property, not really a person. So it, took, it would get their attention where Paul would say, I am a slave, but I'm a slave to Christ Jesus. Let's look at a, a, a take-home for this. When I was uh, being discipled, my pastor used to say, I want you to be able to brown bag this. Put it in a lunch sack and take it home with you. So this is our, our takeaway, and I'm going to be doing this throughout the study, all right? Every believer is a slave, and we are under the authority or the lordship of Christ. When Paul, as our example, says, I am a slave of Christ, we've got to be reminded of this, that every one of us is a slave to Christ, we're under his authority, his lordship. I love what Paul Tripp says, if Christ does not reign over the mundane events of our lives, he does not reign at all. George MacDonald said, no man has the mind of Christ except him who makes it his business to obey him. C.S. Lewis, until you've given up yourself to him, you do not have a real self. Someone else said it this way, it's either, it's, I, I give it all to Christ or I'm not giving anything. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all a slave a volunteer slave there's a passage in exodus chapter 21 i was just looking at it a little while ago in our connection classes we were in exodus chapter 20 and i turned the page and and saw a chapter 21 and it reminded me of this there's a section in chapter 21 that talks about the release of the slaves so in the in that old testament culture that you would have a slave for six years and the seventh year you would release the slaves that that year of jubilee so you, if you were a slave, you, you were released, but you had a, there was a provision there, and it says this, if the slave declares after he's been freed, I love my master, my wife and my children, I do not want to leave as a free man. His master is to bring him to the judges, and it says that they pierce his ear with an awl. Here, here's what the provision was in the Old Testament. You could be a volunteer slave. Who would want to do that? The Bible says if a slave so loved his master... This slave could willingly, voluntarily say, I want to be, I want to continue under your authority. That's what we are in Christ. Stories told about years ago during the Civil War where a northerner bought a slave on the auction block and then went to the slave and said, you're free to go. And the slave said, what do you mean I'm free to go? He said, you're free to go. I can go anywhere I want? Yes. I can say anything I want? Yes, you're free. I can do anything I want? Yes, you're free. And that slave said, then I want to stay with you and follow you. That's a volunteer slave. That's what we are in Christ. We have this privilege of saying, I will place myself under the authority, under the lordship of Christ. So that's a privilege. Secondly, second of Paul's credentials, he's a slave of Jesus Christ. Then he says he's an apostle. An apostle. 
Again, that second part of verse 1, a slave of Christ Jesus called as an apostle. That word apostle just means one who is sent with a commission. Paul says, I am sent with a commission. And as one of the, the key apostles, having seen Christ at the road to Damascus and being called to be the, 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 the preacher of the gospel to the Gentiles, that's, that's Paul's calling, an apostle. We're all apostles. We're all sent in the sense. Not apostles in the sense of Paul was, but in the sense that we've all been, the sense that we've all been called with a commission. Letter C, he's, called, he's a slave, an apostle. He's a preacher of the good news, a proclaimer a messenger, an ambassador, a preacher of the good news, which is the gospel. In verse 1, he says he was singled out for God's good news. That's what gospel is, the good news, which he promised long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. He goes on to explain concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, a descendant of David according to the flesh, who has been declared to be the powerful son of God by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness. I love that. Paul says, this is my message. This is my, this is my calling to be a messenger of the gospel. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul explains what the gospel is. Now, gospel means a lot of things in our culture. It may mean uh, a style of music to some people. Uh, it may mean a lifestyle. It may mean just a label. But this is what Paul says the gospel is. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Now, brothers, I want to clarify for you the gospel I proclaim to you. So he says, I want to make it clear. I'm going to clarify. Here's what the gospel is. This is the gospel I proclaim to you. You received it. You've taken your stand on it. You are also saved by it if you hold to the message I proclaim to you unless you believe for no purpose. In other words, he's saying, if you genuinely have trusted in Christ the gospel, then it's genuine and, and, and you haven't... Uh, the, the purpose is solid. For, for I passed on, verse 3, what was most, uh, most important, what I also received. Here's the gospel. That Christ died for your sins, according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. And then he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve. It goes on to say he appeared to, to uh, over 500 others. The appearances. So there's the gospel. It says it right here. I'll make it clear. Christ died for you. For our sins, remember we said last week, in our place, according to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised again, according to the scriptures, by the power of God. He's a preacher of that gospel, of that message, of that, of that good news. Folks, that is the gospel, that Christ died for us. Don't leave that out. It's popular in our culture today to, to, to water that down. To, to make it not so forceful, to take out uh, lordship, to take out obedience. It's not the gospel. The gospel is that Christ died in our place because our sins separated us from God. A couple of take-homes from this. Because of that, because of what the gospel is, we have no authority to reshape the gospel to make it more, more appealing. We have no authority to reshape the gospel and make it more appealing. Do you know, maybe you don't, if you don't, I'm telling you, for, so you need to know this, that it is common in our, in our world to say that there are many ways to heaven and that, that your Christianity is just one of those ways. That's popular, isn't it? It is not popular to say Jesus is the only way. We go to John chapter 14. Jesus said, said I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you, that where I am there you will be also. And they said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. And he said this. 
He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What's the last part of that? No one comes to the Father except by me. Folks, that's the gospel. That's pretty clear. It's not popular, but it's clear. We cannot leave that out. We cannot say to people, just love God. We cannot say to people, as we, on, on the mission field, when you go into those cultures where they have many gods, they just want to make Jesus one of many. They just want to say, okay, we'll just embrace Jesus and he'll be one of all of our pantheon of gods. No, it's Jesus and Jesus alone. We can't reshape that. We can't water it down. We can't say that, that all you have to do is, is, is uh, walk an aisle and, and join a church. It's about obedience. It's about lordship. And then the next take home, next brown bag there is the gospel is not about a person. I'm sorry, the gospel is about a person, not about a system. I get your attention there? The gospel is about a person, not about a system. When Paul says, I'm here to proclaim the good news that Christ died according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he rose again, and that he died for you in your place, and you're to enter into a relationship with him. He is the way. He doesn't just show the way. It's not a denomination. It's not religion. It's not a system. It's a person. Folks, that is refreshing. That is rewarding. When you begin to share with people that this is not just a system by which to live your life, this is not just a denomination to become a part of or a, or a group to sign in, you're saying, we're, we're letting you know about how you can have a relationship with the living God through his son, Jesus. So important. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Letter D, another credential of Paul's, a slave, an apostle, a preacher of good news. He is a missionary to the nations, a missionary to the nations. Verse 5, we receive grace and apostleship, that calling through him to bring about the obedience of faith among all the nations. Paul is called as a missionary. Basically, that just is a word that means one who is sent to the nations to go to proclaim. A couple of takeaways here. We are all missionaries in our own context. We're all missionaries in our context. Can I just say it another way? Where you are is where you are. Okay, that, That's where you're to bloom, where you're planted. We, we talk about missionaries, and we have some from our church who have said, I don't only want to be a missionary in this cultural context, but I want to go cross-culturally and share the gospel in another place. That's, those are the missionaries that we help and support and fund who go cross-culturally. That is one part of our mission calling. But every one of us is called to be a missionary in our own context. See, God, some of us surrendered to the call to go across the globe. We're called to go across the street. We're called to be Christ living it out in this place. We're missionaries in this context. I love the story of Tilly Bergen. Uh, she came home from, I believe it was the Philippines or Indonesia, I'm not sure. She, her family had been missionaries, and for health reasons, I think, they had to come back to the States. And she said, well, I, I can't stop being a missionary just because I'm back in the States. She started walking the streets of Arlington, found a homeless lady who needed help paying a utility bill. And that led to one thing and led to another thing and led to another thing. Now, Mission Arlington it has a, a, a missionary church, a church plant in almost every apartment complex in Arlington and all throughout the Metroplex because people have said, I'm going to live this out. I have a good friend. He goes every week to do church, and his church is just sitting in a, in a community center in an apartment complex sharing the gospel. That's being missional. That's being missional. That's missionaries in our context. Next takeaway, the take home is we are set apart from the concerns of this world. 
We are set apart from the concerns of this world. Verse 7 says that we are called saints. That just means holy ones, set apart. And that doesn't mean that I'm to isolate myself from the world where I live in a monastery or I live in a commune or I live in a, in a, as a hermit somewhere so that I'm not tainted by the sins of the world. See, we're to be in the world but not of the world. We, we're to be insulated from the world but not isolated from it. It, it, ha- it speaks of our values here, of our understanding of, of who I am in Christ. To be a set-apart one, to be a saint, to be called as a missionary in my context means, in our cultural context, means that my values are different than the values of the world. My mindset, my goals, my priorities are different. D.L. Moody said, no one can sum up all God is able to accomplish through one solitary life, wholly yielded, adjusted, and obedient to him. I agree with that. That just, that's to be set apart is to say, my life is to be so different that I impact my culture. Joe Stoll writes about the opposite of that, and I think this really describes a lot of folks in our churches. Apart from our activities on Sunday and our conformity to external codes of do's and don'ts, the world doesn't notice much difference. All they are left to see in Christianity is the loss of a day of leisure on the weekend and denial of some common pleasures. Few people find that kind of Christianity compelling. Let me tell you something. Some of the people who see us, unfortunately, all they hear is what we might be against or what we don't do. It's more than that. It is to say that, that I, am, I have a different worldview. I have different values. We'll talk about those two worldviews as we walk through Romans. Well, that's Paul's credentials. And now, number two, in verse eight, Paul's going to express his concerns for the church at Rome. Paul expresses his concern. Look at verse 8 with me. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because the news of your faith is being reported in all the world. Well, that's quite a statement, isn't it? Wouldn't that be neat? Coastal Oaks, the news of what God's doing in your midst is reported all through the world. For God, whom I serve with my spirit in telling the good news about his son, is my witness that I constantly mention you, always asking in my prayers that if it is somehow in God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I want very much to see you, so I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Now I want you to know, brothers, that I often planned to come to you, but was prevented until now, in order that I might have a fruitful ministry among you, just as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am obligated, verse 14, I am obligated both to Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish, so I, may, so I am eager to preach the good news to you also who are in Rome. Let's just look at Paul's concerns for them. First of all, he was thankful for their testimony. Thankful for their testimony. Verse 8, the news of your faith, your testimony, is reported throughout the world, the whole Roman world, the Mediterranean world. Everybody had heard about the faithfulness of the church at Rome, and he thanks God for them about the news of their faith. Secondly, he prays for an opportunity to minister among them. This is significant. Verse 9 and 10, he prays for this opportunity to, to minister among them, always asking God in his prayers that he could be with them, that he could impart a spiritual gift, that he could, that he could share and grow with them. 
Remember we said that Paul uh, has not visited the church at Rome yet and he's, he's just longing, he's eager to be there to share with them. I love what he says about the, his relationship with the church at Philippi in Philippians 1 verse 7. He says, it is right for me to think this way about you because I have you in my heart. We're partners in the gospel of grace. Paul says as a shepherd, it's, this is what I have. I have you in my heart. That's a shepherd's heart for the people. That's so important. He is saying, I want to be there to minister, to share with you. And then move on to the next truth. He wanted to encourage them and be encouraged. He wanted to encourage and be encouraged. We think about Paul. Paul shows up on the scene, and it's all going to be about Paul encouraging them. That's what he did. That's what his letters do. That's what the writings of the New Testament, that's what his preaching. It was an encouragement. It's interesting. Look at verse um, 13. Now, I want you to know, brothers, I often plan to come to you, but was prevented until now, probably just because of his missionary journeys. He's been on three of them up to this point. In order that I may have a fruitful ministry among you. Isn't that incredible? Look at verse 12. Back up a little bit. He says, I want to impart some spiritual gift and strengthen you. That is, to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Here's what Paul says. I want to be with you. I want to minister to you. I want to encourage you. But man, I want, I want to be encouraged by you. It goes both ways. Do you see that? Some have debated about what that spiritual gift is. I just believe it's Paul using his gifts in the church. And he says to the church, I'm going to come, I'm going to come use my gifts to minister among you, and I'm going to let you encourage me. That's so important. So important. Our take home is we all need encouragement. We all need encouragement. Is that a truth or what? I tell you, I love being encouraged by this congregation. Uh, every Sunday morning, our men uh, come down here and we pray. And we, first of all, we just pray for uh, people who are coming. We just pray that God's presence would be here. We, we kneel at these steps and we say, God, let these steps be an altar of surrender. And we pray for the time of commitment. And then I sit down and then those men lay their hands on me and pray for me. Man, you talk about encouragement. And they don't just pray for their pastor, they pray for their friend. That's music to my ears. To have godly men pray and encourage me. I thrive. I look forward to that. Why? Because we all need it. And I, I'm here to encourage you. But I'm here to be encouraged by you. We all need it, don't we? There's a really great story. You can look it up on YouTube. It happened in February of last year. CBS News carried this story uh, about the, the Gainesville Tornadoes basketball team. It's a high school basketball team. And the Gainesville Tornadoes go, into a, go to play another team, and there's hardly ever anybody in the stands. One of the, the kids they interviewed, he said, well, my, my family came once, but they've never been again. Another guy said, well, nobody's ever come to see me play. When the Gainesville Tornadoes go to play, it's a treat because the Gainesville Tornado high school team is made up of convicted felons. And they, 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 it's a... It's a like a, a bonus for them to get out of the prison walls to join the basketball team. But when they go to play another team, there's not going to be anybody there watching them. So they went to play the Vanguard um, prep, prep school in Waco. And it was going to be the same as it always was. It's a great story. Two of these guys on the Vanguard basketball team said, you know, it's not right that we have everybody cheering for us. So they went to the school and they said, we're going to divide the school up. We want half of you to cheer for us. Vanguard. We want the other half to cheer for the, the Gainesville Tornadoes. They even divided up the cheerleading squad and they said, you cheer for us, you cheer for them. They made banners that, that had the tornadoes on. And those guys walk out of the, the, you know, the, the, the gym thing to people cheering for them, high fives. 
putting their hands out, and they played, and everybody screamed and cheered. And the, the, in fact, the guys that organized it said more people cheered for them than cheered for the home team. And here's what one of those high school kids said, the one of the guys that organized it. He said, this just shows how much of an impact encouragement can make, because they interviewed some of those guys from Gainesville. Then he went on to say this. We all need someone to believe in us. We all need someone who knows our mistakes and loves us anyway. Folks, that's the gospel. When we come together, we are a bunch of imperfect, messed up people. Did you know that? If this is your first time, I'm sorry. <laughs> you, you just stepped foot into a, into a mess. Because we are a messed up bunch of people. We are. We are imperfect. We are humans. But we're saved by God's grace. And we need encouragement. Letter D. Paul was also obligated to share with them. Interesting word, obligated. Verse 14, I am obligated, both to the Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. I am obligated to preach the gospel to you. Folks, we're obligated. But I want us to to notice in this, we'll talk about this sense of eagerness in a minute, that Paul is not, not bummed out and burdened by that obligation. See, taking the gospel to Rome and encouraging the church at Rome is not a burden that he's, oh no, I have to do this. It's, oh boy, I get to do this. It's not, oh no, I have to go to church. It's, oh boy, I get to go to church. It's a privilege. So here's my takeaway here. Take home. The privilege to minister to others is a result of God's grace. It's because of God's grace that we get to do this. When I was a kid, they used to say, but for the grace of God, there go I. Have you ever heard that one? Somebody's got a messed up life and their life's in the gutter and they say, but for the grace of God, there go I. You know what they're saying? If God had not intervened in my life with his saving grace, I'd be, I'd be in the gutter today. I just It's scary to think of where I might be without Christ. So I have this obligation to minister, to share. And it's a a privilege to do that. A privilege. Privilege to serve one another. There's a TV commercial. I have no idea what it's about. I mean, what what the product is. Isn't that great? The marketers did a good job, but they didn't remind me what the product is. So I remember the commercial. it's It's a man who's from another culture. He's in America, and his family is arranging a marriage with him and, and, and a lady from the home country. And because it's the common to their culture, this guy doesn't want to do it, but for the family, he's going to go ahead and get into this arranged marriage. So he shows up at the airport grudgingly. He's got flowers for his new bride, and he, he's going to do this because he has to, because he's supposed to. And he, he's there holding the flowers, and she steps off the plane, and he sees her, and everything changes. She's gorgeous. And he begins to think, wow, I, I, don't, I don't have to marry her. I might get to marry her. What's the difference? He saw her. See, here's the truth, folks. When we really see a glimpse of God, who he is in his glory, our have to changes to want to. It's a privilege to minister because of his grace. Lastly, and I already alluded to this, Paul's eager to share 
the whole gospel with them. He's eager to preach the good news in verse 15. So I am eager. Now there's a phrase all the way back in verse 5. We've received this grace and apostleship through him to bring about the obedience of faith among the nations. Lots of debate about that phrase. And my, my understanding of that phrase is that to, to, to commit my life to Christ in faith is to commit my life to obedience. Because see, go back to verse 1. Paul said, I am a slave to Christ. The whole gospel is not just that Jesus died and rose again, but he, he died in your place so that he could buy you, that, he could, that you could belong to him, that you would be his slave and surrender your life to him. It's lordship. It's lordship. Peter said, set apart in your hearts Christ Jesus as Lord. That means make him first place. So this whole gospel that I'm talking about is the reality that, that to give your life to Christ means to give your life to Christ. Not your Sunday mornings. Not five minutes a day when you read your Bible verse. Your life. So here's our takeaway from that. The call to discipleship is not optional. It is a necessary component in our preaching of the gospel. All through this passage, Paul mentions being a slave, being that Christ is Lord, that he's separated, that he's set apart, that he's obedient in the faith. Soren Kierkegaard said, Christ did not appoint professors, but followers. If Christianity is not reduplicated in the life of the person expounding it, then he does not expound Christianity. For Christianity is a message about living and can only be expounded by being realized in men's lives. If your Christianity is just about Sunday morning or just about a hope for a home in heaven, you have missed it. The world's not going to want that. The world's not going to be attracted to that. They want to see that he has transformed our lives. The privilege to share the gospel with people who need Christ. That's what, he's, that's what, that's what it's all about. When the Titanic was going down, 20-some-odd lifeboats paddling away from the sinking ship. People in the water, hundreds in the water, screaming in the frigid, freezing waters, save us, help us. Out of those 20 lifeboats, one went back. Lifeboat number 14. Molly Brown was on that lifeboat, I think. Officer Harold Lowe was the one who piloted that lifeboat. And they heard the call. And they went back. Someone making observation of that said, we don't get to choose who gets in the lifeboat with us. We're just called to rescue. That's what Paul's saying. That's his calling, to rescue. Let's pray together.